I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights, I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences, and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn. And I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good, uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about Chili Pad by Sleep Me? It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner so you each get what you need. What I want? A cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me slash thread to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code thread. This offer is available exclusively for pulling the thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me S-L-E-E-P dot me slash thread because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. I've spent many years, like med school, residency, as a mom, eight books, which is a lot of deadlines, just a lot of things that have put me behind the eight ball in my relationship to time. Like never feeling like I have enough time, never getting through my full checklist, always feeling like I should be doing something more even when I'm relaxing. So for me, it's taking on too many things at once, saying yes when I really need to like say no or maybe say yes, but, but next, not all at once. And just really checking in with, am I feeling spacious? Am I feeling unpressured? Am I feeling like I have the capacity to handle what's on my plate right now? So says Aviva Ram, who has the rare distinguishment of being both a midwife and a Yale-trained MD. She mediates between the world of allopathic and alternative medicine using the best of both approaches. From where she stands, this type of balance is critical, particularly for women in our complex and sometimes confounding hormonal systems. Though Aviva has written many books about women's health, her latest, 
Hormone Intelligence is somewhat of a Bible for many women I know, offering insight into the natural process of shifting hormones during different phases of our lives, as well as advice for treating all too common maladies like PCOS. While we dive into some of these details in today's conversation, Aviva and I primarily talk about what it is to be a woman today, along with our collective ambivalence about aging and the necessity of honoring older women, particularly ourselves. We also get into stress and the way we've been trained to use hypervigilance and anxiety as prods for perfection and excellence, and what it feels like to let that go and drop into our own bodies to hear from them directly on what they need. Okay, let's get to our conversation. Before you were telling me about sort of being on vacation and stumbling upon this revelation that high-functioning anxiety and inner peace are are often conflated in our minds. Is that fair? And ambition. Like, so for me, there are sort of three factors, right? There's my deep, innate, powerful desire to make a contribution in the world, to make everything I touch, you know, make women feel supported, I guess, not everything I touch, but like make women feel supported, help women feel supported. Like there's that healer in me that really craves that. And there's also, I have like a a deep drive for excellence. Like I want to always go the next mile, so to speak, to like really make sure that what I'm saying is accurate. Like there's science, all of that. So there's excellence and ambition for me. That's one sort of pod. There is an increasing desire, especially now that I'm in menopause, I think, and my kids are grown and I'm just in a different phase in my life. There's a deeper desire to value time, quiet, self-care, time for reflection, time for not doing. Mm -hmm. And then there's high, so that's another pod. And then there's high functioning anxiety, which for me runs deep and long all the way into growing up in a housing project and using accomplishment as the vehicle for getting out of that housing project and establishing social and financial safety and security for myself. So for me, they're almost like, I've thought of them as competing things and I can't have all of those happening operational at one time. But I, I think for me that the high functioning anxiety is almost like the shadow side of the helper, healer, creative, who also wants excellence. So for me, when I'm in the zone or in the flow of creating something or interacting with a patient or like actually pushing hard to create something sometimes, you know, like really like creating excellence, I I actually love that. But when my scarcity mindset or my fear mindset, or I'm just tired and overwhelmed and overdoing it gets activated, then that high functioning anxiety really kicks in. So in one sense, the high functioning anxiety drives in a good way, the other stuff, but it doesn't have to be how I create from. And then the inner peace is not like if I'm, if I'm just being a human being and not a human doing If I'm just taking time on vacation or time to watch a movie or read a book or whatever I'm doing or not doing, it doesn't have to be in competition with that excellence, with the creation, with the accomplishment. And I think sometimes for me, and I I know a lot, you know, when I teach or when I work with patients, I mean, I, I ask this question a lot. Are you ever just watching a movie or reading a book and relaxing? But there's that 
you know, 10% of your brain that's actually kind of loud saying, I should be doing something else. I should be doing something more. And you may have a specific task in mind or tasks on your to-do list, or you may just have that as an anxiety, but that actually does not help us be more successful or more creative or more productive. That getting into that quiet space allows that creative flow to bubble up. So I've been playing with, what does it really feel like to pay attention to, to define how I want to feel? have a touchstone of that, which is actually, I really enjoy feeling calm and spacious. And as a writer, you know that having a deadline isn't always a good feeling. It's often not a good feeling. How do I feel to not continue to create stress for myself and spend more time between that deep, calm, creative well, and that creative accomplishment? So that's what I'm playing with right now. (laughs) Oh, it's, I mean, head nods all around. It's so deeply resonant. I want to sort of tease out that idea of that anxiety state and how that drives excellence and how I I recognize that that's a myth. And yet I subscribe to that too. If I'm not, that somehow I won't be motivated to achieve anything or do anything unless I'm on that edge of almost making myself ill with anxiety, breathlessness for me. And they're so entwined, and I'm sure they're entwined for a lot of women. So I want to go into that deeply and even how that impacts our health and our hormones. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because there's actually a a chart that was created in the, I think it was the 1920s, actually. And it's a bell curve. And the original impetus was to study the impact of stress physiology on our well-being. And it's continued to sort of stand the test of time. So on the y-axis, let's say you have creative accomplishment, you have flow, you have functioning. And then on the x-axis, you have stress. And this has been born out in mood and mind. It's been born out in exercise performance and also exercise performance in relationship to viral infections. We know that, for example, high intensity athletes or marathon runners often train and train and train. And then when they stop, they get sick, right? Or we all have had that experience of being in undergraduate or graduate school and we like push, 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 push for the final exam and our final papers and we're fine. And then first day of winter break, you get sick, right? Hopefully not COVID, but in the past, we've all had that experience of a cold or flu. So on this curve, the idea is that when we are actually understimulated, our performance, our accomplishment, our excellence our mood, our creative flow, overall performance in every area, health physiology and like externally is really low. We also know that when we're overstressed, same exact thing. So the sweet spot where we're actually the most effective, where we feel the best, where our immune systems are at their highest functioning actually is in the middle where we have a wee bit of stress and that stress doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be like a project we're working on that is causing us to like noodle on a little bit or a project that gets us into flow state. That's when we're optimized. I think a lot of us and especially women have gotten 
so accustomed to this idea that we're supposed to multitask, have it all, do it all, that we end up actually in the over-functioning state. And so we're you know, struggling with a lot of immune dysfunction, autoimmunity, fatigue, overwhelm, anxiety, depression. And it's like we've pushed too far out on the curve. And actually what happens is our happiness, our creativity, our effectiveness, our overall peak goes down. So if we can move actually more to that middle, on the other hand, if you're really understimulated, if you're bored, if you're unhappy, if you're not feeling like you're getting into flow state with your work at all, for example, then you may similarly experience some of that depression, anxiety, ennui, your immune state may go down. It's really, really interesting. How do we tap in on a daily basis to how do we want to feel? How do we feel? And how do we bridge that gap? So for me personally, I've spent many years like med school, residency as a mom, eight books, which is a lot of deadlines, just a lot of things that have put me behind the eight ball in my relationship to time, like Mm -hmm. never feeling like I have enough time, never getting through my full checklist, always feeling like I should be doing something more, even when I'm relaxing. So for me, it's taking on too many things at once, saying yes, when I really need to like say no, or maybe say yes, but, but next, not all at once. And just really checking in with, am I feeling spacious? Am I feeling unpressured? Am I feeling like I have the capacity to handle what's on my plate right now? And when I am able to check in with that and create that, and of course it ebbs and flows, right? I mean, we all end up sometimes saying yes, or you may have little kids and it is all a lot, even the things that are like the few things you have going on, but how can we continue to check in. So for me right now, I am deeply committed to one, not taking on more than one major thing at a time and going deep with it instead of having so many competing things. And the other is, well, the other two things are giving myself enough time. We actually know that we tend to underestimate how long any given task or project is going to take by at least 30%. So giving myself more time for each thing and not announcing to the world that something is coming before I have it substantially close to being finished. Cause that's something I'll do. Like, I'm so excited to share what I'm working on or what I'm going to offer next. And then if something happens or it takes me longer, then I feel badly for not meeting a commitment that I've made. So those are some of the ways I'm playing with this. Pulling the Thread is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes Max, my oldest, tells me he wants to go in the back of the house and talk. What he means by this is purely the verb. He doesn't want to have a conversation. He wants to talk, to vent and unload, to fill me with factoids. Mom, want to know 40 things about acid rain? But more often, to get things off his chest. It's fascinating to listen to him and what he perceives to be injustices, annoyances, and harms. I recognize that in those moments, he doesn't want advice or for me to higher mind him or for me to justify his own feelings to him, but simply to be a container for the one-sided stream, to just listen. I recognize what he's doing because I do it every week too. 
in therapy. I was thinking just the other week that it's rare to find someone who will just listen, maybe point out some patterns or hold me accountable when I say something wild. Wait, Elise, pause. Do you really feel that about yourself? Or why do you think you care about this so much? But aside from these moments of intervention when my therapist makes me reflect or feel, I'm doing the talking, and it helps me feel so much freer. Thank God for therapy. This is one of the reasons I'm very excited for therapeutic solutions like BetterHelp. They have licensed therapists who are available worldwide and specialize in depression, anxiety, sleep disturbances, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQA issues, grief, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PTT today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-T-T. I also tend to overcommit and I work with this woman sort of as a tangential therapy practice occasionally. And she was like, the way she did, she looked at my human design chart, which is a whole nother thing, which I love. I love human design. But she was like, you, I'm a manifesting generator. And essentially, she was like, your whole time, time is a pressure for you. Like you feel that intensely. And, you know, you were talking about deadlines. Part of making progress in my book has been letting go of deadlines. I've never missed a deadline. I'm missing my deadline. And that's okay. So part of the to move forward, I had to let the deadline go. And then I actually started to move much more rapidly, which was interesting. But she said that I, and I think this is good advice for every woman, I am no longer allowed to respond in the minute when I'm asked to do something. It is, let me get back to you. Yes. Let me get back to you. And then I, I talk about that a lot. Yep. Yeah. And feel it energetically. Is this a yes or is this a no? And that gets down to like, are we paying attention to how we feel? in our bodies or wherever it is. Like, I think we each have a place where we know when we're in alignment and when we're not. Right. So it may be somebody has a part of their body that aches when they're not for me. I feel this like almost like a motor in my diaphragm. It's like a motor, like that is just agitating and causing me anxiety. That's my anxiety feeling. It's like a motor in here or like an overwhelm. Like, Oh my God. So I try to pay attention to that, but it really does mean dropping in and paying attention to how we feel, what our thoughts are. Like if your brain is screaming no, or your body's screaming no, getting in alignment with saying no or no, thank you. But we don't always pay attention to how we feel or trust it when we do know it. Well, and I guess we can move to to hormones because I think the sort of the great sort of crime against women is we are these highly sensitive beings far more complex than men in terms of I mean maybe that's not true you can fact check me but it seems that way a lot more I think we are we have more cycles I think we're more prone to the good and the difficult sides of connectivity because of oxytocin and awareness of others I think we have we have a lot of complexity that they don't have but yet we've been 
told that we're hysterical. We all know the etymology of that word and that idea, or that it's all in our heads. You know, so many of us have been severed from that inner knowing of, I don't feel right. I don't feel good. Obviously, autoimmune, it's what, 80% affects women. It'll be interesting to see the impact of, of long COVID as that, you know, has been sort of a crisis for people's immune systems, men and yeah. women, but a lot of women, right? And yeah, we've been dismissed, denied. And obviously, you, a lot of your work is about how these hormonal signals are the canary in the coal mine, that something's going out of whack. And yeah. typically to get like an uh, autoimmune diagnosis, right? Like your thyroid has to be gone. Like you have to be pathologically ill. There's no, a lot, not a lot of awareness or acknowledgement of the spectrum as we're sliding towards that diagnosis and can still climb our way back. But we've been severed, right, from that inner knowing. So how do you teach women to reconnect, both not to pathologize everything, right? Like our, we do cycle, we go through these significant shifts and changes in our lives that are completely natural. So how, where's the line for you? How do you get women back in their bodies? Yeah, I mean, it's really complex in a lot of ways, right? Because for so many women, being in their bodies isn't actually, it doesn't actually even feel like a safe place because of trauma, vulnerability, physical discomfort. I mean, so many women feel their bodies have betrayed them. Even women who have experienced an external assault sometimes blame themselves, often blame themselves and our culture blames women. So for me, it's about how do we identify where we do feel safe in our bodies, where we don't feel safe in our bodies, and then how do we actually drop in and feel our bodies? So it can be any number of ways. One of the practices that I really love guiding my patients with and my students through, and I actually talk about this in hormone intelligence, and I also think in adrenal thyroid revolution, but what I call a body scan. And you can do it kind of quickly, like we could do it right now where we each close our eyes and just take a few deep breaths and just kind of quickly let our minds wander through our bodies and notice where am I comfortable? Where am I uncomfortable? What can I do to you know, shift that? Can I breathe deeper? Can I change my posture? Am I hungry? Do I need to pee? You know, what is it? But then there's a deeper way to do a body scan, which is to do it like you can either do your own guided visualization or find one where somebody is guiding you through or trade with a friend. And I do talk about this in, in hormone intelligence, but you get really comfortable. You can lay down. I prefer laying down or sit up and then slowly begin to breathe deeply throughout your body. I use this. I'm very visual. So I use an image of as if you can imagine there's this like golden, like if you could imagine like molten gold, like molten pink gold. And as you're breathing in, that gold is kind of like going through your, and it's warm and it's cozy and it's comfortable. And it's kind of going through your arms. It's going through your torso. It's going through your pelvis. It's going through your legs. It's going up your back, your neck, your head. And you're slowly actually watching it flow through you. And then you start to pay attention to where there might be blocks, where you feel like it's not actually flowing. And then notice those parts of your body. And then there are a number of things that you can do in different ways of this practice. One is just to notice it. Another is to breathe deeply, relax, imagine that you're kind of like 
letting that flow move past any obstacles until you can imagine the flow happening. Another is to notice where in your body when, when you have that flow, you start to have negative thoughts. And I mean, like, I hate that part of my body or, oh, I can't go there or this is a danger zone. And then when you, you can visualize healing and there are lots of ways you can play with this, but then when you come back to consciousness, oh, and when you're doing that also, notice one power spot. Like for me, because high functioning anxiety is my thing, I've been very fortunate to be in amazing physical hormonal health, but high functioning anxiety, I can start to spin out mentally. Like I should be doing this or someone else is more accomplished or like the compare and despair thing. And so for me, my power spot is to feel my feet on the ground because when I feel my feet on the ground, it brings me back into my body and out of my head where so much of that anxiety gets centered. For some women, it may be their arms. They may feel strength in their arms. I've had women say it's my hips where I carried my babies. You know, it's, I hear her all kinds of things, but find that place that also is your strength. So you're not just only looking for what is the sore spot, metaphorically speaking, and maybe physically. And then a beautiful thing is to bring yourself back to consciousness, sit up, have some tea, light a candle and journal and journal out those parts of yourself that you're hating or not loving on. And then journal out those parts that you or a part that is your strength that you can pull back to. So I do this with patients as appropriate. I have this as a, an exercise women can, can do, and it really is transformative and you can do it as you're going to bed each night. You can do it, you know, as a new year's thing, September, like you do it on your birthday, just pick a time. And it's really powerful. I love that. You know, even I should journal, but even just the conversation that I have with my body sometimes where I'm like, oh, that ever it hurts. Like maybe it's muscle fatigue, but you start talking to your body and just yeah. asking questions and then seeing what comes up can yeah, be shocking and deeply emotional, you know, where it'll guide me back to like, oh, I feel I'm so lonely or you know, whatever it is like that's, that's there that hasn't been acknowledged because we're so busy covering up all of our discomfort. And your book, I mean, the latest one is called Hormone Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, I don't know whether you think of it as mind, body, spirit, or hormones as their own intelligence within the body. And then as we sort of come together, how do you, like, how do you, how do you imagine the system? Yeah. So I think of hormone intelligence as two things. One is this very deep innate knowing. I mean, we really haven't altered from our biological programming, if you will, since we became humans on the planet. And, you know, we menstruate, we cycle, we get pregnant, we give birth, we go through menopause the same way all people with women's bodies and women's tech go through those changes pretty similarly. So I think of how do we live in harmony? So I think of that as the innate intelligence, but then I also think of hormone intelligence as the decision to pay attention to and live in harmony with and support that innate way our body is meant to not, not to be biologically reductive. I'm not a biological reductionist in the sense that I don't feel like everything we do is like driven by our hormones. And I don't feel like 
-hmm. everything is just yeah like predetermined but there are aspects of you know, menopause is predetermined getting a menstrual cycle for a healthy female body is predetermined so how do we understand what those cycles are and how we can best support ourselves through those cycles so just you know some simple examples are like in our menstruating years we do know that when we're ovulating our estrogen and our cortisol and our adrenaline are at levels that actually healthfully easily support us in being more intense in our exercise and having more muscle healing resilience so you you know if you want to do you know cycling or running or something i mean it doesn't mean you can't do it at any time of your cycle really successfully but let's say you're trying to start a new program to get on like a cycling program or a jump rope program, a yoga, whatever, that's an easier time. It's more harmonious physiologically, whereas premenstrually, we know that our inflammation is inherently a little bit higher. Our muscle repair is a little bit lower, and we actually are more likely to injure ourselves premenstrually. So maybe that's a more natural time to think about restorative yoga or a gentle yoga program or a gentler Pilates program than you know, hitting CrossFit. And again, not biological reductionism. You can do it any time. But if you start to notice like, yeah, I'm not really feeling like hitting the mat right now. And you're like three days before your moon time, maybe that's why instead of thinking all the thoughts we think, which is like, I'm lazy, I'm punking out, I should push myself. And we have those flows with all kinds of things around our sexual desire, around our creative and intellectual flow, not capacity, that doesn't change our, our intellectual and cognitive capacity we know does not change across our cycles or life cycles either. So you're not less smart when you're premenstrual and you're not less smart when you go through menopause, but our hormones and our brain changes and our mood changes are affected. So how do we learn to learn? How do we learn those and then be more in harmony and compassion with those? And how do we also pay attention to the many social disruptors that interrupt our hormone flow, whether that's using blue lights at night and, you know, being on our screens in the couple of hours before bed, disrupting our cortisol, which then disrupts our sleep, which then disrupts our metabolism and our mood and our immunity and all that, our cravings. So that's what it's really about to me. I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1500 square foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. In short, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product content. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique beetle-litten oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed-release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. 
The results? It increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female-founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com thread for 25% off. Feels like life is, it's like the two branches of life are understanding your own unique story, right? And your own specialness to, to sort of a corny word. And then the context of these bigger patterns, right? Yeah. These inevitable, we're all going to die. We're all. And it's not know. just me. Like there's not like, you know, my daughters have talked about, I learn all kinds of word, words from my daughters who are in their twenties to mid thirties. And, and they're like, you know, they talk about exceptionalism, like thinking we're the only one. And it's been used in kind of a way of like Americans are, I think we have exceptionalism, but also this idea of like, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one experiencing this can also be very isolating and lonely making another corny word, but lonely making. And I kind of like that actually. And because as women, there's so much that's not talked about that we just don't talk about with each other that have historic has historically been taboo or considered hysteria. I'm doing air quotes around hysteria, <laughs> but that feeling like we're going through something alone or we're the only ones rather than understanding our bodies in that context, our moods, yeah. our minds, everything, our lives, our experiences, our choices in that bigger context, it can really give us perspective and self-compassion. Totally. And then you're talking about these natural rights and we won't be able to get into sort of PCOS and and all of the disorders that you tease out in the book, but sort of tracking your own experience, which I think so much of us want to the parameters of normal or what to expect, like perimenopause, I think, for women, which I don't know, it feels like kind of recently has even become something that's discussed as... Yeah actually there's something that starts to happen to you before you get into menopause and menopause has been under discussed but what oh, do yeah. you what do you want like what what are those changes that we should welcome and understand as being completely not pathological and normal and or potentially strengths i mean so much of i'm i'm not quite in perimenopause i'm inching my way there sort of shutting the door on ever having any other children, et cetera. I'm like right at the cusp of that <laughs> moment. And, but what I hear from so many friends around perimenopause is like, they're like, I am just getting started. You know, my kids are functional. They need them in some ways more, some ways less. And then they feel derailed by their bodies at this time yeah. when we are also kind of the most powerful that we've ever been like in our forties yeah. and fifties. So What's happening there? And how do we make it 
more gentle. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Let's unpack all of this. So one, I think we live in a culture that's very ageist. And I, so I started with natural medicine and understanding my body and eating healthy, all that stuff when I was 15 and I'm 55. I've had four babies at home. I, I didn't even have makeup until a few years ago. Like didn't actually have makeup. I'm like, I'm like Miss Uber organic, right? Even though I'm a Yale trained MD, I'm like actually Miss Uber organic crunchy on some levels. And I went into menopause two years ago and so I'm fully in menopause. And what's been astonishing to me is how much pressure I feel internally to do something like Botox or filler or get my chin cheek you know, jaw tucked a little bit. And I'm like, I like, I barely haven't, <laughs> have had a Tylenol since I was 15 years old. And so if I'm feeling that way, right, like what are most women experiencing in terms of like what our culture expects of us and how we're supposed to look and be. And there's so much that's so profound about getting older, especially in a culture where I know 30, I'm like, I know 30 year olds who are models or look like models and are in the wellness space and kind of are models in their world, 30 year olds who are already doing Botox and filler. And I'm not judging. I mean, I understand why women do all the things they do. And I've chosen not to do those things, at least at this point, I don't anticipate that I will. But like, so starting with that place, of like, we're already judging and rejecting the natural processes that we're going through. It's scary to get older, right? You're in a different phase of your life. A lot of women, um, I've been reading a lot about plastics and gentle things that women do like, but I don't even think it's gentle, frankly, Botox and filler that can be from a medical perspective. They're not always gentle. They can have serious consequences, but the reason that women do it is because as they get into their mid fifties in their careers, they get aged out, right? Their appearance becomes part of their career trajectory and they get aged out for younger people. So there's a lot of economic pressure tied into aging. And then on top of all of it, if that's not all enough, like in the gestalt of the whole thing is very real hormonal changes. So perimenopause is the eight or so years leading up to menopause. Menopause by definition is having gone one full year with no blood coming out of your vagina, no spotting, no periods, nothing like boom, no periods, nothing, no, nothing. So one year of that, and you're technically in menopause. So what's happening during that time in our lives is we are having a massive decline in the form of estrogen that creates a lot of juiciness in the body. So estradiol, which creates full breasts and hips and makes us fertile and all juicy and juicy down there. And like all of that, that's declining dramatically. And then we're experiencing estrogen just coming from something called estrone. So it's just a, it's a lower, it's like a less potent, it is a less potent estrogen. And it doesn't give us all of those feelings. Estrogen, the E2 that I was talking about, that real juicy one, 
also keeps our joints well lubricated. It actually keeps our metabolism a little bit higher. It distributes our weight more on our hips and our boobs instead of around our waist. It helps us sleep better. It helps with cognitive function. So as that estrogen goes up, keeps our vaginas not feeling dry. It helps with our sex drive and our mood. So as that goes down, we may experience any of the symptoms that are associated with perimenopause and menopause. It also regulates our temperature through our brain. So we may experience hot flashes, vaginal dryness, lower libido, some decline in our mood, partly as a result of decline in sleep or sleep disturbances. And we may find that we put on five or seven or 10 pounds, even though we're doing all the same thing. So lots of changes. And for some women, those changes last a couple of few, some women just go through it, right? Like some women have really easy periods. They just, they menstruate. They might not like love the experience of menstruating, but they don't have a big lead up with cramps. And some women go through menopause like that, perimenopause like that. But for other women, just like some women have periods from hell, some women have, you know, perimenopause and menopause from hell. So what, where to embrace it as natural and normal really is a function of how you experience it. It's like labor, right? Women experience short of complicated births where there's the babies in a funny position or something like that. Some women experience labor as actually pleasurable, sexual, and orgasmic. Some women like just are like, give me the epidural, you know, the first three contractions, because they experience it as so painful. It's not a judgment on their capacity as humans or women. It's just people experience things differently. So for the woman who's like, this is awesome. This feels good. And I've midwife people who have said that they might not need anything, but, and it's just like, feels completely easy and breezy and normal and natural and a rite of passage. And they're like, wow, this is magical. But for the woman who's like, give me the epidural at three centimeters, she may need that. And similarly, a woman who has some hot flashes here and there, or like doesn't really experience much vaginal dryness or urinary symptoms or any of that. She may just go like, this is not a big deal for me. And I'm yes, I'm probably still going to be experiencing changes in my facial structure or the experience of gravity or collagen declining. And maybe there are things she does or doesn't want to do. But for the woman who's experiencing this as really uncomfortable, that isn't supposed to happen. It's I don't want to say it's not supposed to happen in the sense of pathologizing, but you know, one of the things I say in hormone intelligence is that being a woman is not a diagnosis. It's not a disease and we're not supposed to suffer contrary to biblical proportions of saying that women are supposed to suffer. That's not my belief system. And I feel like that's where choice comes into play, much like the choice to have a natural home birth with nothing or a natural birth with an epidural or a C-section. It's like you get to choose when you're in menopause based on how you feel and how you do or don't enjoy it or how it is or isn't affecting the rest of your life and your capacity to live and feel your best. I sometimes feel that things get really polarized. Like it's all or nothing. Like it's, I'm going all natural so I can only do herbs, but I'm going to suffer my way through this or, you know, menopause is a disease and every woman should take hormone replacement therapy. Neither is actually necessarily the best answer. So we all have to kind of assess for ourselves. And from a um, life perspective, I, I was listening to my oldest daughter, Mima. Uh, she loves podcasts. She listens to them all the time. She's 
So she was telling me about a podcast with Krista Tippett, you know, on being. Of course. Yeah. She was telling me about a recent episode that I listened called Wintering. Oh, Catherine May. Love Catherine. I want to have her on my podcast. So I was listening to it and she talks about how we go through these ebbs and flows in our life that society doesn't necessarily support, but we're still going through them. So for me, you know, as I was sharing when we first started talking about like high performance, I've had like last year, I had 18 months of truly some of the most intense work continually that I've ever had. And it wasn't like I felt burnt out at the end of it. It was like an experience of, I'm just done. I don't have any more to spend right now. And if I spend more emotionally or or energetically right now, I'm going to get depleted. So now's the time to hit pause. And I gave myself what I called a sabbatical. And I really hit the brakes on so many things. And it's a little bit like what she what she talks about in the concept of wintering. Like when we need to step back, go within, feel the feelings. And I think a lot of us, we recognize that premenstrually. I think most of us have some periods, menstrual cycles, where for some of us, it's strong. I know for me, when I never had cramps or problems, my period, but premenstrually, I always wanted to retreat a little bit. Like that wasn't my social time. That was when I wanted to journal or do something creative at home, not out in the world. And I think when we go into perimenopause and menopause, giving if we feel that we need more time for self-reflection and self-care and exploring where we're at now, it's really important to give ourselves that. It's an incredibly important time to be deeply, deeply appreciative of and deeply gentle with our bodies because like wintering or like PMS or that premenstrual time, we're going through a transition, sometimes for a long time, where we are experiencing something that is not valued by our society. So we have to redefine it with each other, like in conversations like this, and for ourselves, we have to really truly own it. So some of the things that I think are important are looking for role, female role models that fucking kick ass. <laughs> I hope you don't mind me cursing on your podcast, but like just really Curse kick away. ass, you know, whether it is Michelle Obama at almost 60 wearing a like cutout peekaboo top on a evening talk show as, you know, the former first lady, or it's Helen Mirren, you know, just crushing sexuality in a way that is like so powerful in her seventies and saying, if there's anything I would have told myself when I was younger is to give a whole lot less fucks about what other people think, or just in general, whether it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if that's your person, or whether it's Audre Lorde, if that's your probably who are the role models of women who either embraced power? I think Audre Lorde, I reread Sister Outsider this past year, and she really talks about, she talks about the Black mother. And she's not only speaking about the Black mother for um, Black women, she's speaking in a really deep universal place about the Black goddess. Yes. And how we are taught as women to smile and be positive and be pretty and like give and give and give. 
and how do we embrace that more Kali, that more powerful force that isn't always happy and positive as we're reckoning with our power? Vet bills can be expensive, but Spot Pet Insurance can give you up to 90% cash back on vet bills so you can worry less about high vet bills. Yep, up to 90% cash back on vet bills for unexpected accidents, illness, and even routine care. And with Spot Pet Insurance plans, you can go to any vet you want in the U.S. or Canada. There's no network you need to stick to, so visit your favorite vet and you can save money on expensive vet bills. That's Spot Pet Insurance. It's no wonder Spot is America's favorite pet insurance. Visit SpotPet.com for a free quote today. For all terms, visit SpotPetIns.com slash sample-policy. Spot Pet Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produce Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. This is an independent ad from Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Just thinking about what you're talking about, and I want to talk about wintering too, but this aversion, this cultural aversion to aging that's been passed on to women. It's like once you're desexualized, we venerate the maiden, we venerate the mother to some degree. And then we've excommunicated the crone. And these these older women who we desperately need because they are one part of the triumvirate. They're the completion of the cycle and they hold the wisdom and they're the initiators. And yes. the holders and I, of ritual. I, yeah. I also feel that we have this concept of the triple goddess, right? Mother, maiden, maiden, mother, crone. And I feel that, and I don't know if it's a reflection of the fact of having longer lifespans, although some of the issues around lifespans and women have actually been debunked. Like people have lived long lives for, you know, in many cultures. Yes. It so, gets, it's confusing because of it, baby, so many children and babies dying. So that's why the, the, the median was why our yes. lifespan has increased. So on I, I, I have come to identify, and I haven't written about this yet, but a third passage. So there's maiden, there's mother, there's call her queen, mm-hmm. and then crone. And I think that if we go maiden, that's that very young fertile, nubile kind of sexuality and body that we have identified as sort of like the desired in our culture. And then there's the mother who is venerated not so much as the mother, but as the vehicle or vessel for the baby. And then we've got the crone, but I'm I'm not a crone yet. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think the historical, even visual image of the crone, if you look at that classic book, The Crone, right, the cover, uh, we think of a crone as wizened, not just wise, but wizened, kind of leathery skin, lots and lots of wrinkles, more stooped with age. I'm not there yet either. So when I start to identify myself as a crone, it actually makes me feel older than I actually am. But if I identify myself in this new phase of my life as a queen, a mentor, a leader, that redefines everything for me. And so for me personally, when I start to get a little bit pulled out of myself by these thoughts of, you know, I'm not young anymore, as if that's a loss. I mean, of course it's a loss. We grieve difference. We grieve our non-mother selves sometimes when we become mothers because 
we are making a transition and we don't fully have that same being as before, but, but she's integrated into us. And so, yes, I'm not 34 anymore. And sometimes I look at my daughter, my oldest daughter is turning 34 and I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, to have, to have skin like that, or, you know, whatever it is, or just to have your whole life ahead of you to make different choices. It can be daunting and it can even be filled with regret and grief. And, and it's okay. I think we have to feel those feelings, but to say crone, it makes me feel like I'm so old. And so when I start to reframe for myself, this idea of queen, of leader, of mentor, I really love that feeling. Like it's really embracing the power of the fact that I have lived for 55 years and am a maven. I'm an expert. I am wise. I am confident. I usually, I am accomplished. <laughs> I have, a, I have arrived, right? I have, I have arrived and I can use that inner feeling to then inspire and support and help understand women coming behind me and also understand a little bit of what maybe women in the years ahead of me may look toward the other or look back on the other thing is that I wrote this post when I was on vacation about our bodies and how like when we're in our 30s we're like you know, culturally programmed to think, oh, I wish I looked like when I was in my 20s, when I was in my 40s, when you're in your 40s, you're like, oh, if I were only in my 30s and I'm in your 50s, you like, you know, rarify your 40s. And I think to myself sometimes now, like if I were 65 or 75, I would be thinking, oh my gosh, my body at 55, I wish I was back there. So like really, really, really checking in with myself to love myself and finally like be here embodied and accept who I am. So those are some of the things. It's so funny. And and it's important to remember, you know, when we think about cultural programming, the paragon of mature beauty is like a 20-year-old model, right? It's yeah. Kendall Jenner, whomever. Like these things aren't it's 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 a strange way that we have of venerating again that maiden. And I was with a yeah. teenager this summer and who I love amazing, you know, just like sort of becoming a woman, amazing body. She was like, oh, I just like, whatever I do, I, I never gain weight and I weigh 115 pounds. She was just slamming Cool Ranch Doritos. And it was actually really good to be around her because I'm having yeah. sort of the opposite experience where I look at things and I gain weight. And she's, I was like, good for you. And like, that's so sweet. Like that idea of I don't know, for some reason, it helped me really unhook from this idea of like that I'm not in that stage. That's like her, it's her time. And yeah. this idea that as a 42 year old woman, I would idealize or imagine that I should have the body of like an unblemished, you know, child is perverse and strange. It's really but that's strange. how I we've know. been, it, you know, that's how we've is. been programmed. And, and that we are teaching our daughters are the young women in our culture, but and boys and men too, but we're, we're inculcating our daughters and young women with the thought that where their value is, is in their appearance. Yes. And appearance changes over time. We're not going to look at 55. We're not going to look at 55 the way we looked at 40. We're not going to look at 65 the way we look, even with the best plastic surgery in, you know, in the world, you're not going to, and you still, you're still older. Like you're still carrying the mantle of, of changing. So as women, what if, 
we, yes, I mean, beauty is wonderful. And I, I love beauty too. And, you know, that inner, like beauty from the inside out, especially, but how would our culture be different if we valued intellectual knowing or spiritual knowing, or let's say if emotional intelligence were part of beauty, how we treat each other, like our own inner self-worth is part of our beauty because that is what is also going to last. So if we basically based our value on our appearance and on youth, by the time we are at an age where that is shifting, we yeah. how do we still value ourselves? What is it that we want to value about? So for me, this idea of thinking about legacy, thinking about, you know, hopefully having many, many decades ahead of me, what can I, how can I use this time? And again, allowing myself moments or days of wintering, if you will, you know, days of just stepping back and reflecting and letting new things bubble up. You know, I want to just say one thing too, something that's really bothering me in the wellness and, and the menopause world is people writing about menopause. And so first of all, there's like, there's this idea that menopause is hell on wheels. Like I hear so many women saying I'm terrified of menopause and it's not something to be terrified of. It's, it's not, it's like, that is part of the hormone intelligence. That's part of the body intelligence. Like it's nothing to be terrified. If it's really hard, it's really important to look at root causes and see what we can heal, whether that's getting better sleep or nourishment or whatever, whatever, or using therapies, whether you know, more integrative or more conventional to feel better. But one of the things that's really bothering me is this kind of almost meme that menopause is a second teenager hood. Mm. And I'll tell you why it really bothers me. First of all, I'm no teenager anymore. I am a sexually life career experienced, badass powerhouse 15, uh, 55 year old. I wasn't that at 15. I was not what I am now. And so comparing myself to what I was at 15 feels, or comparing women to where we were as teenagers feels inaccurate, but also it's insulting because our cultural meme of teenagers is irrational, difficult, moody, unpredictable. So we're actually casting aspersion on the emotional and intellectual and maturity capacity of women. It's a completely different life cycle. Well, we could have gone for several hours. I love talking to Aviva in part because she doesn't compartmentalize herself and feels comfortable swimming in a lot of different lanes. And I wish more doctors, healers, etc. did that because I think that that's how we arrive at the best and most healing outcomes. And I just wanted to touch on wintering. Catherine's coming on the podcast soon. She's also one of my favorite conversation partners, but... I think that that book, which is so beautiful, what it touches on is that we started this conversation today about this, that innate knowing that so many of us have, and the way that we try 
to corral ourselves into the confines and structures of an hour a day a week with this continual output and treating ourselves more like machines really more like men than women and I think gifted with that innate understanding of cycles and birth and creativity that women carry what Catherine and what Aviva, what I think we're all being called to do is to honor that more in our lives and to recognize that we might have fertile periods, fertile weeks, fertile days, but that trying to corral ourselves to input equals output is a recipe for disaster and that we have to all sort of honor that call back to following our energy, finding that flow moving in ways that are less direct and a little bit more free. That's what I feel called to do. Obviously, I've been in several cycles pushing on my book or working on various consulting projects, and my energy is not linear, and nor is the way that I think. And so really, this is something I think I share with all women. I think we all are built this way, men too. But getting back into that, to really listening to ourselves feels essential. Otherwise, we're going to drive ourselves to disrepair and disease, really. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find show notes and full transcripts of the episodes at theelisepodcast.com. Please sign up for my newsletter, I promise I won't spam you, or follow me on Instagram at Elise Lunen to get updates on new episodes. I'd also like to give a huge thank you to my sponsors who make this show possible. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio. If you enjoyed this episode, please listen, rate, review, and follow Pulling the Thread, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, i.e. wherever you're listening right now. I also want to thank you in advance for sharing any episodes with friends you think might like the show because that is how podcasts grow. I want to give a shout out to Phil Svitek, Lauren LaGrasso, Serena Reagan, Mary-Kate McDonough, and the entire Cadence 13 team for producing these episodes, and to Valero Duvall for my key art. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you next week. High schoolers are busy, but no one's too busy to help fight cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is looking for their next student visionaries of the year. Could that be your child? High schoolers who participate in the seven-week philanthropic leadership development program gain valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. 
Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students.